Hey, Simis, welcome to episode 136 of the So This My Why podcast and the first episode of 2024. I'm your host and producer, Lingya, and today's guest is the founder of the extremely viral Malaysian pay gap and disappearing jobs. And her name is Pristine Dave Kapoor. Or is it Pristine? We discussed this at the start of the episode. How do I say your name, Prophet? I don't even know. Really? Because I hear people say pristine and pristine. I go. It can be either way because there was no single person who told me that this is the way you should pronounce your name. But where does the name come from? My dad, but he was never in the picture. Yeah. Yeah. But even after you met your dad, the answer was so shit. He told me that he found the name on the electronic dictionary. So he just put it in. Oh, no. Yeah. So even he doesn't know how to pronounce that. How do you introduce yourself then? I change it all the time. Hi, I'm Pristine. Hi, I'm Pristine. <laughs> okay, Pristine, Pristine. Thank you for joining me today. Yeah. <laughs> Who is Pristine exactly? Well, Pristine or Pristine, Dave Kao is the founder of Malaysian Pay Gap, which is a viral IG platform where Malaysians submit their wages, the benefits that they have, what it's really like working in their job and how they even landed those roles in the first place, which frankly is a type of transparency that we all need. Now, as for Christine herself, she's had quite an eventful life. She grew up in a drug-infested home and she was told from young that her father was a dangerous man. When she moved to the US, she found herself homeless at one point where she was staying overnight in the library and washing up in the gym. Eventually, she managed to pay her school fees, but she had to still hustle hard to meet her living expenses, which included grilling 100 chickens in the very dangerous part of Chicago's south side. She spent her last $900 to buy a camera out of desperation, and that became a starting point for all good things in her life. Now, in this steamy interview, we dive deep into her journey, how she's built her career as a photographer. What does nine hour sense mean? Her first experience with virality when she wrote a 2020 article on why she unfollowed famous influencers on Instagram. How she bombed her job with Vagari because she was a very cocky photographer. The start of MPG. The realization that information is power. Connecting with the CEO of AirAsia and so much more. Before we start, don't forget to subscribe to the Steamy newsletter. I share the behind the scenes of spreading Steamy as well as all things on building your personal brand storytelling marketing, and the most exciting thing that just happened to me today, being featured on Business Insider. Now, are you ready? Let's go. Welcome to the So This Is My Why podcast, where we talk to people about their whys and how they turn them into realities to inspire you to live your best life. And here's your host, Ling Ya. I love to start all my interviews by going to the very beginning. And I learned that your grandmother growing up was your best friend. Yeah. Can you tell me more about grandma? I would say like she was the sole caretaker. I saw that you would share different photos and stories. And she was always there, mm -hmm. always cooking for you. That was really, really beautiful. Especially for you to say that she was your best friend. Yes. Yeah. And you didn't have an easy life growing up, right? You said before when I was speaking to you that grew up in a drug-infested family background. Yeah, what was that like? So I was born in Johor. Yeah. And when I was an infant, my mom didn't know how to, like, regulate her emotion. Mm. She would, like, physically try to put pressure on me. My family deemed that, okay, she's not going to be a good caretaker for me. So I was under care at those caretaker family okay and when i was three years old my mom moved back to penang and then she paid my grandma to take care of me mm. but still i was never in the same home as my mom so my grandma now that she has to take care of me and my uncle also offer her the same thing like i'll pay you to take care of my own kids so we were all living together but i think at that point i didn't know what b40 was but it seems like we definitely are in that kind of environment. The house is very, I think, 600 square feet and then three bedrooms. And then my grandma got the smallest bedroom. So that was where I grew up in. 
it was like a cave. Like it's always really dark because it's not a room with direct window where sunlight can come through. Yeah, but it was so safe in that room. I wonder if you don't mind sharing what was your grandma like? She was very funny all the time. Yeah. She's very, oh my God, it's present tense. She's very lighthearted. And she has a very delayed response to anger or anything bad. If she got bullied or somebody said something mean to her, she will only realize it a few days later. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. And say, oh, I should have done this. I should have said that. Or you have to she tell her. My anger. No, he, she will tell that to me. So I always thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> She's not a judgmental person at all. Yeah. So even back then when we were living in that house, she made it so judgment-free. So even if I was in a bad environment, I never felt that it was bad enough to make a case. So that allowed you to basically look at life not in such a negative lens as you might have grown up with. Because by the time she has all those bad emotions, like when she remembered to be resentful, I was already educated in a way that anything is fine. We spoke briefly about your dad earlier. You met him for the first time when you were 20. Why was that? And how did that meeting come about? So throughout my, I would say teenage year, when I could make sense of things, my family relatives always said that your dad is a gangster. Your dad is a very dangerous man. So it's good that he's not in your life. And then they will always tell me, okay, what, what if one day he's going to come into your life again? How would you react? And they told me that anger should be the emotion. But ever since then, I, I never felt that though. Growing up in a single parent family in the Chinese community is not a good experience because at school, somehow the teachers will make it seem like a very bad thing. Everybody already put you down, but still... I don't see it as a problem. Having no father is not something that I was ever ashamed of. If they said that, oh, whose who's family is single from single parent, I would just raise my head without anything. Probably because of your grandma. Maybe because of my grandma. And I also thought that it's cool to have a gangster dad <laughs> who never appeared in my life. Were people afraid to touch you? Yeah. So when he first reached out to me on Facebook, I was super excited. There was no other mixed feeling. It's just pure excitement. And when he called to say, to meet up, I just immediately called my best friend and said, let's go together. And what was that like? So he texted me. We were supposed to meet in his hotel room. And before I was there, he just asked me to go buy him Rojak. Wow. (laughs) So I thought that was pretty weird, but okay. At least he's direct. And the moment he opened the door, I just saw, wow, someone likes really tall. Really looks like a gangster. Looks dangerous, but then he has that really kind and warm smile on his face. Yeah. Yeah. Immediately, we just hit it off. Like, there's no barrier. Of course, I would question him everything. Like, what happened? Like, why are you not never in my life? Why is my name like that? And how did he respond to you? He told me everything. And it was only through him that I found out that him and my mom was never married. Mm-hmm. And did they feel as though, oh, at least I know where I am now. I'm more subtle. It was just, okay, fine. Thank you so much for telling me. Because yeah. I never attached that gap in my life as something deficient. So meeting him or not wouldn't make me feel plus or negative. I learned when you were 19, you really liked this sentence by Wow. Life is a work of art and it influences you deeply. Yeah, how did it influence you? I think a lot happened before 19, definitely. I would say that at that point, I was discovering what I was good in. And art was one of it. Mm. And to call it a work of art, it's just aligned with what happened to me during my teenage years. So I was never conventional. I never really care about any school rules. If I don't like a subject, I wouldn't participate in the examination. I'm okay with, you know, getting zero, getting failed. I still have the assurance that if I know what I'm good at, I'm going to do it. So life is a work of art. It's about progression. It's about constantly trying to work on it, reflect on it. That's why I feel very attached to that sentence when I was 19. That's her. And you actually wanted to go study abroad in Taiwan. Yeah. But then you ended up in the U.S. Yeah. So what happened? 
I always wanted to get into mass communication. Yeah. Yeah, I always imagined myself as a news reporter. So Taiwan naturally was a very good option. But something critical happened at that point. My mom was seeing a guy who saw so much potential in me. But that critical point came right after SPM. So I was very honest in time that, you know, for five subjects, I actually slept through all of them. So don't expect me to get anything out of my SPM result, but I guarantee you I will have A's because anything with language and essay, I know I'll nail it. And so he immediately just said, forget about Taiwan. I'll put you through INTEED, International College for AUP program. And said that if you are so into carving your own chapter, then just go to America where the values are serving you. Do you think that was right? He was right. I was mostly surprised I said yes to that because I had to relearn so many things. Like first semester into INTEED, it was really bad because I couldn't speak English. And people really looked down on me and my country. But you were determined. Not really determined. I was just going with the flow. And what was it like when you went to the U.S. then? It was much better. Because at Inti, being exposed to American program for the first semester, I couldn't get used to it. I only got like 1.9 GPA. It's only when they said that 1.9 plus your SPM result, we can just kick you out of the program. There's no second semester for you. So I worked really hard to get better in the second semester. So once I got to the U.S., it's the same thing all over again. It's the adaptation. I couldn't really adapt really well. But then it was the professors there, very open to tell me, take however time that I need. But I definitely need to be open-minded enough to adapt. So I did just that and it changed everything. How did you adapt? By asking more questions, don't be shy. If there is something that I feel I cannot cope, I should always take it back and negotiate with them. So they gave me that freedom. I, and I forever really appreciate that. And I would say the changing point was when I was taking a philosophy class and also a business ethic class. Because these two classes is where I could swim in. Before that, I never realized that I can only learn by asking questions. I can only learn by knowing something like this, but having my own spin on it. And these two classes allowed me to do that. They really just opened up my academy life. I would say prior to that, I was never a student. I was only a student when I hit 19. Weren't you also struggling with homelessness at some point? Yeah. It was also because of my dad. This one, I did feel like I should be like angry a little, but not enough to hold a grudge. <laughs> Thanks, Grandma. <laughs> After I was like pretty close to finishing my study, he came into my life and said that, oh, you need to get a master's degree. You have to get into agriculture because that's the future of the world. And I guess at that point, it's sort of like the second time that somebody tell me that you should do something and enough. Because the first time was my mom's ex-boyfriend and I listened to that and the outcome was good. So when he came into picture, I didn't critically analyze everything. I just accept it and say, okay, yeah, maybe if you believe it's good, then I should do it. From an art background, switching into science was tough, but I was determined to do that. After he supported the first semester in, all of a sudden he disappeared. And by that time, I already told my mom that I, do, I no longer need her financial support because for two years when I was in America, so my mom never planned for my education fund because she never even think about it. She barely graduated primary school herself. I told her that I don't want her money anymore because every time a semester came, cry. She made me feel very bad to ask money from her. She would try to tell me about like how hard she has to work. So I don't want to feel that dependence. So my dad sparked that desire for me to get a master's degree. So his sudden disappearance just like turned everything like really badly. But by that time, after the first step of semester in the environmental science department, I was already making like really good connection with all of my professors. When I was homeless for that week, I didn't tell anybody, but then they realized something was off. So I always go to the school gym anyway, and I could take shower there. And then even before being homeless, I already found out that library is the 
place where you can study overnight. Of course, like the security guard will try to chase you out sometimes. So as long as you know their route yeah. and you switch, they can never find you. When that happened, the money was gone from my bank account. It was actually frozen too in Hong Kong. So I was like completely running on zero fun. I slept for a few nights between the gym and also the library. Never tell anybody. And then my professor found out. How did he find out? I usually, well, take school outfits very seriously. <laughs> I would always look very presentable, but that week I looked like a mess. So they found out it was also exam week and my favorite professor, she put me at a hostel. Oh, that's nice. Just to let me get through everything. Everything sort of crumbled for that few months. To maintain a student visa in the U.S., you definitely need to enroll into a program actively. So once you cannot pay for a semester, the international department will immediately notify and revoke your visa. So that was going to happen, and it was a private school in the U.S. There wasn't much financial aid available. And even though I was already getting the Global Ambassador Scholarship, it wasn't enough to cover. It was only 1000 per semester. My semester tuition fee was $12,000. So they helped me to talk to the principal. They helped me to look for the funds. Yeah, it was really tough. Yeah. I still have all the emails that where we try to back from different departments, try to ask for different foundation to help support my study. How did you figure it out? It was my good friend in China. So that school being a private university means like students who go there, they're from really well-to-do family. And I got connected with them because yeah. I'm always the one who like have to hustle. So I was helping them to do their homework. Mm. One of them, my loyal clients, <laughs> said that, you know, life shouldn't be like this. I haven't worked so hard. Like, why is this still happening to me? So she called up her family and asked her family to support me. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. Wow. So it was her family and also her family, friends who own, say, foundation in China. Because in China, everything is really strict. You can't have, like, a family just transferring money out to a non-family member. So he has to go through a foundation. It's so like a scholarship. Go. Yeah. A scholarship that they ask nothing in return. When they offer me the tuitions, I just put it as tuition and that's it. I don't ask for my living expenses. So living in Chicago is very expensive. So I still had to work really hard to support that living part. So what were you doing to be able to afford it? So many things. I was known to be the girl who would just sometimes leave class earlier and work in between classes. There's this app called Task Rabbit. So I was like a top-rated rabbit. So any job that I could do in between classes or after class, class, I would do it. It can range from delivering flowers. The most memorable one is going to Chicago South Side, which is a very dangerous place to grill 100 chicken for their party. It was so dangerous that the host made sure that she drive to the train station to pick me up. Or if I walk from train station to her house, I might get risk of shooting. Oh my God. Yeah, I might get shot while on the way to just grill chicken. And Did the they grilling has a pay. <laughs> no, the grilling is actually outdoor. So I was so scared at their garden all the time, just me, one Chinese girl grilling chicken. Oh my. Things can happen behind me anytime. So that was the most memorable one. Yeah. And there are also some dodgy ones and a lot of crazy ones too. Like the dodgy one would be being paid $100 or 250 a night just to go to club. You don't have to do anything. You're just sitting there. They will give you a drink voucher. In one night, they will send you to like four different bars or club. Mm. Just to be there. Just to be there for 20 minutes. Oh, yeah, it's not even one hour. <laughs> you don't need to interact with anybody. You just need to be there. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that was weird. And there were others. It was really cute. Like, I always get the organization job. Because you were top rated. Yeah, and moving, helping people to pack and move. Helping a teenager to arrange her closet. Okay, wow. A lot of weird jobs. Helping someone to clean her house before she went on a Tinder date. Just in case she's bringing her date home. The house oh, wow. Clean. But you eventually made enough to be able to spend $900 to buy a camera. 
of Amazon. No, so it was actually out of desperation too. Having that camera was actually a, a starting point of something good happening in my life. So I would still have to do all the weird jobs and at that time. I'm not sure whether you know this, but when your bank has negative amount, they will charge you overdrawn fee. Mm, yeah. $15 a day. So I have to keep calling them and say, can you please don't do this? If I already have no money, why are you taking more money from me? Can you please have some <laughs> empathy? I think there was one month, so I couldn't work enough to help support that money. So account was only left with, I think, 600 something. I couldn't use it to pay for rent. There's not enough money anyway. So I had to make a choice. Okay, how can I turn this 600 something into 900 something that I can survive easily. So one of the jobs previously at TaskRabbit was that somebody gave me their camera to help them to shoot a um, wedding proposal. The person paid me $150 for only 20 minutes of work. And I thought, okay, photography must be the one that brings in easy money. So I just went on Amazon, look at the camera price point that I can pay. The Panasonic Lumix was one of it. So I bought it. And then immediately, no money in the bank account, only have maybe two and a half weeks left to earn that money to pay for my rental. Whoa, that was quite the risk. You weren't a photographer before that. I wouldn't say I was a photographer before that, but then I know how to take pictures before that. Because one of the students who hired me to do homework was a photography homework too. So from then, I already know that I have that eye for it. So how did you make those two weeks last longer? You found jobs immediately. It was very fast. I think I found a job on Craigslist. It was an event photo company that hired a photographer to shoot different events. So it can be two events a night. And one event is also around that range, 150 or 200. And then from there, is that how Nine Hours Sense was born? No, it wasn't. Nine Hours of Senses, I, I love philosophy. And theory behind it is that we have 24 hours. Eight hours is dedicated to school or work. And then you have like around seven hours to sleep. Mm -hmm. And then you're left with nine hours to do things completely on your own. And that nine hours should be spent with senses. So it was when I was in my mid-twenties, that's when I realized that all of the things that I've been doing, I should call it a name. So that people would take me seriously so that I can upgrade to the next chapter of my life. So photography came about out of desperation. It was out of desperation and I took a huge chance, actually. The next photography turning point for me was there was a model from Malaysia and I saw that I immediately texted her and said that if you need a photographer, I am here. I can take photos for you. Very nice. No money involved. And she let me do it. I think she came to Chicago just to meet her boyfriend. It was early days, Instagram for the Malaysian crowd. And it's the first time that somebody take photography on Instagram so seriously, like using a professional camera to do, to do it. So she got very good response out of it. Brands approached her and said that we would love to have some photos taken in that kind of style. So even before she went to New York Fashion Week the next year, she already told me that when you do come back to Malaysia, you're going to be my photographer. So New York Fashion Week happened the following year. I flew to New York did photo shoot, it was so well received that before I even decided to leave US and go back to Malaysia, I already have projects waiting for me. And were you clear at the time that this is going to be my career when I come back? Not at all. Mm -hmm. Because photography, to me, it was born out of a desperation. So something like that, you will never think that it could be your career. And I was barely out of survival mode, so I wouldn't have like the notion of career in my mind. So what was your thought when you came back? I, I should apply to like companies because my education level is good. I should apply to ad agencies that are on my wish list, like Leo Burnett. But it wasn't that easy. When I came back, I realized that the pay is very low. I guess I was so used to the hustle culture, I know that the time that I can put in, the focus that I can put in, I know the return of money is certain level. So if you want to put me in a full-time position, coming to work every single day minus the commute time, and you're still paying me 
something that I can get this output in five days and I, I wouldn't want to participate. But things change. I actually did have a my first ever office job. I got it when I was at a cafe. There was a magazine editor. I started to chat with her and she invited me to something to do with content at the publishing house. But first month in, I found out that they are not paying EPF to their staff. I talked to the coworkers then and said that something is off here. Like, why are you not getting what you deserve? And they just told me it's the norm here in Malaysia amongst SME. There's nothing that you can do. If you are talking to the boss, then you are at risk of losing your job to you want it. I'm like, yeah, why not? <laughs> so you quit. I quit, but of course I've, I fought with them first. And in the end, I, some of their staff with like three years of experience being there, they finally got paid their EPF. But I left after that. So you quit without a plan in line? Without plan in line, but then I was already having that photography project supporting me. And there was enough. There was enough. And so what was the plan when you quit? I have this gig, I'm going to get even more gigs. No, I actually never planned that. Mm. I think that's where I feel like I wasted some of my years in that space. I never strategize my next moves. I never plan. I really just go with the flow. So how were clients coming to you? Word of mouth. Yeah, word of mouth. Well, until this point, I never pushed my website out to anybody. Oh, until disappearing jobs happened. That's the first time that I took initiative to try to change the course of my project. But prior to that, for six years almost, whatever comes, they come. But prior to MPG, you were getting a lot of international jobs. Getting international jobs and also... Where were those coming from? Also word of mouth. Oh. Yeah. All of the word of mouth started when I was in Chicago. Yeah. In that school. Really known for being a hustler there. Worked so hard every single day. So yeah. when they went back to their own countries, any opportunities, they would think of me first. That's amazing. Yeah. And they would fly you to go to their country. Yes. Or they would refer me to their friends who could be like a fashion designer in China, in Korea. And then they would just fly me there. But then you wrote this article in 2020, which is your first experience with my reality called why I unfollow famous influencers on Instagram. Yeah. Tell me the story behind that. Yeah, I, actually, until now, I'm not sure whether that was the a mature move. Mm -hmm. So in Malaysia, I would say at that time, I was the content creator for content creators. And that's how I know that a lot of creative work or a lot of thought process was never related to them. They were just in it for the money. I mean, some of them because it's a very lucrative job. So at that time, I felt that I have this power to make people look good, but am I using it well? It's not well. Previously, my Instagram was public, and then slowly, slowly, I closed down my Instagram, make it private, and I also make an announcement that I'm just going to quit. I don't want to be part of this anymore. I don't want to hang out with famous influencers because they make me feel like life is... Too transactional, life has no further meaning to it. So I wrote that to try to make people aware that when you think that influencers should be sort of the public anchor for you to learn something or to be influenced, you have to be critical that what you see is not exactly that. You have to be critical that when they're using lipstick to try to talk to you about feminism, Stay away from that. You have to have more anchor within yourself. And you have to seek out for other sources for knowledge, not them. So I wrote that as a public awareness. It was very well received amongst people who are not creators. But people who were creators, they were very offended by that. And were you blacklisted? Did you lose all your clients? I think definitely. Because they were the ones hiring me to take photos. So after that, I was blacklisted, but I was okay with it because I already announced that I'm just going to quit. I'm not going to do it anymore. What was your plan after that? Also no plan. But with photography back then, I did have a wish list. I said that if I could shoot editorial for one of the fashion magazines, then I will call it as an end. I'm happy to leave it. And I did have an editorial on Love Soul magazine, so I was happy with that. How did that happen? It was against referral so 
When I first came back to Malaysia, I was shooting at the Astro Chinese Pageant show, and one of the judges was Jojo Go. She's a very cool actress, and she might be listening to this. At that time, I think I already made an impression on her, and she followed my Instagram, and then she liked how the visual that I have. There's always a very unique point of view. I wouldn't follow trend. And she always said that, you know, when there's an opportunity come, we should work together. And so she was the one who gave me that. I was so happy then. But I didn't do a good job. It was for Bulgari. I didn't do a good job. Yeah. Why would you say that? I didn't do enough planning into the shoot. I was still having that workflow and mindset of a casual photographer. As a, actually a very cocky photographer. I just thought that, okay, I have this talent. I can go to a shoot unprepared. Not realizing that for editorial, when there's such a big brand involved, you should give it a lot of thoughts. Know how their outfits are going to be like, the hairstyle, how's the environment, how would that environment sing with that outfit, how many likes do you want to use, what kind of outlook do you want to put out. I never thought of that. I really just went there with my camera that's not even a full-frame camera. It's still my Lumix camera from Amazon. Oh, wow. Yeah, they published it, but I feel bad. I think the first time I had a big photo shoot in China, that's when I decide that, wow, this is a craft that requires so much respect and practice. So when I was in China, it was the first time that I was given a team. There was a lighting master that I don't have to do anything. I just have to tell him that this is kind of the look that I want to go with. And they really just let me shoot. I don't have to be concerned of what are their outfits, what are their hair going to be. It's purely creative direction. And that's when I found that, okay, the magic is there. This is the kind of clients that I want. I don't no longer want to just search for the influencers. And then the lockdown happened. And then the lockdown happened. Before the lockdown happened, I was actually planning to open up a studio in Shanghai. I really like it there so much that I just want to go there and focus my career there. But then that didn't happen. So how did you figure out what to do? Because the nature of your work is that it's in person and you can't do it in person. Yes. I, I do enjoy that time too. It made me think a lot. I reach out to local fashion brands and offer them my service, even though I feel like, okay, I'm selling myself short in doing that. So I was thinking a lot, but at that time, it was when I do want to earn some local currency. So I talked to some local photographer when I have pitched to those local fashion brands. I want to find out how much I should be charging them. And those photographers didn't refuse to tell me their rates. So I thought that was weird. So that was actually the beginning of MPG, plus the incident at the magazine publishing house. So the two combined together, that made me realize that there is something missing. Like, why is it a taboo? Why is it the right things cannot happen just because people are afraid to talk about it? It also goes back to a value that I hold very dearly, naturally, since I was little. Because I have a very strong sense of like justice. I don't like injustice. When I see injustice, I get very reactive. Mm -hmm. I will feel the flame on my back and I just want to do something about it. So with all of this in the background and knowing that all of my power previously had poured into the commercial type of social media, I know that I want to do something also in social media, but then it's for the better good. And then you had this idea that kept you up for two days. Yeah, I just couldn't sleep. There's something already going on. I just couldn't like connect the dots. But when I could connect the dots that two days, I just couldn't sleep. I felt so anxious. I feel like there's so many butterflies in my tummy. Yeah. I couldn't sleep. And I know that I have to do it. If I don't do it, I really will be sleepless for the entire week. And what was that idea when you connected the dots? I didn't have a full shape at that time, but I could feel very strongly that I want to create a space where people can safely share about their problems. I didn't have the format yet. I only had the format when I talked to this idea about, oh, I wish I could show you the first message that I sent to people. When I want them to be the first few to submit, I just pitched the concept to him because yeah. he's an engineer. And he was very supportive. So I sent it to multiple people. A lot of people on my following list, most people ignore me. Some people, when they respond, they just say, it's not going to work. And why would people want to tell you stuff like this? He was the only one who said such a brilliant idea. Yeah. So I just went straight into it. 
he was the first one to submit and he sent to his friends to pitch the idea, idea to them too. So the initial format was job, age, gender, race, years of role, qualification, current salary increment, what do you want to be heard? And when asked, like, do you think like this information are sufficient? Yeah. And then we keep tweaking, keep tweaking. And then you launched it. I launched it very fast, immediately. After he sent me the first one, I immediately posted it and talked to more friends. Yeah. And they just went viral instantly. Not yet. So I was very active on Twitter for many years. I have my wish list of people that I want to reach out to. So Soraya from Ringgit or Ringgit was one of them. And then also Aaron Tang. Aaron Tang was my first on the list. Luno? Yes, Luno. Oh, yeah. But because first on the list, if he said no, I would be so down. So I don't, I didn't go with him. I go with Soraya. <laughs> So Sarah became the first that I reached out to. She helped me to post on Twitter. It was trending on Twitter first before everybody moved into Instagram. Did you not think to be based on Twitter then since that's where a lot of people were coming from? No, because Twitter is quite a bubble. Yeah. Yeah. But Instagram wasn't. I think for something that is relating to such a general, I need to be at where the people are. So then... People from Twitter started coming in, pushing it out. And so many people were sharing this. And it was just working nonstop. Because yeah. if you want people to feel safe to submit it, you need to show that you are open to a huge spectrum of jobs. Yeah. So that they feel that, oh, maybe I'm from copywriting. Maybe I shouldn't do it because nobody's doing it yet. But if I show that there is one, they are eager to submit. So once it picked up, it was almost... Well, I, I would say, like, not much of sleep. Yeah. What were you doing behind the scenes that people didn't see? Talking to people individually, really chatting with them, having conversation with them. If they write something that I know that they might get very bad public opinion about, then I will try to redirect it and help them to submit it again. Sometimes they will just tell me something. I said, I'm not really good in writing, but I don't want people to pull me down because of my writing. Can you please help me to write it? And then I will do that. What were some of the earlier submissions that surprised you? All of them were surprising. I think the most memorable one was a graphic designer who was earning 4000 even after working 10 years. Yeah, so that was the most surprising. But then one defining moment was that surgical consultant who submitted because that was our first one with like really high earning. Was he the one with 100,000? Yes, 132,000 something. Because that's when I realized that, wow, people are really dying to know somebody who have made it out there. Yeah. They're dying to be inspired because the economy market really is not the best. Yeah. So if we keep sharing all of those, it's not helping anybody. So it was that point that I sort of learned how to look out for job posting. It switched Sort of like the cultural switch, like you cannot just use it to find out how much people are earning. You're also using it as a tool to learn. And how was the reaction to posting his? It was so good. It was so, so, so good. But then there was also the negative comments as well. Oh my God, the negative comments, they almost killed me. <laughs> as naturally not a negative person, being exposed to such negativity for the first time or it's insane. I couldn't wrap my head around them. Initially, I will always call out to people who are being very sexist. Say if a female is earning that much in a male-dominant industry, they would just say that, oh, she must be sleeping with her boss. And I find it very rude to say, it takes courage for someone to share their story out and you shouldn't be so irresponsible with your words. I took every negative comment so seriously and it was very bad for me for, I think, a few months. It took me a while to detach from that and to accept that there are people who are truly that negative and you cannot do anything to change it. So you just let it go. Previously, I would not ban them, actually. I would still try to reason with them because I, at that point, I was feeling that if I ban them, I'm robbing them freedom of speech. Then who am I? Am I doing good or bad? It's only later stage, I realized that if they are not taking their freedom of speech with respect and dignity, they're stepping on other people with no reason. I shouldn't create a breeding ground for that kind of people. So I just bend without thinking. 
<laughs> it was a learning process. What are some of the incredible entries that we could, you could share for people who haven't gone to this platform yet so that they would know, oh, this is what I could find? Yeah, it's all on the highlight. There was a chef who were working really long hours. He didn't realize that he was being underpaid. He didn't realize that he actually had options. I think we always have op options. He listened to the comment section, he listened to the suggestion, and he really quit his job and had a very improved life after. And then there was this, I think, 28-year-old law graduate. The pandemic that affected her job searching, she was feeling very motivated by it. So she was working as a part-time service crew. She wrote the story about how she feels very bad about herself having graduated from law but this is what she's working even though she's grateful that she is still managing her life pretty well and people reading her entry could tell how genuine and smart she is and they offer her interviews they will go on dm we do this all the time actually we don't publicize it because we don't want more people to do it a lot of people will text her and say that I, will, I would love to give her an interview opportunity can you please like share the contact and we'll always do the manual sharing we'll get permission first oh wow and then we'll do the sharing and then we'll have to like follow up to make sure everything is okay nothing creeping she got a new job we're so happy for her and that's not the first time it's actually happened on the platform some people will also use the information to negotiate for better yeah. income as well as 10x yeah the income right and then some people will report there are cases if there's something actually bad going on. I think for the first year of running MPG, I realized that information really is power. Sometimes people just need to have that information. But second year running it, I realized that, okay, information is power, but then the true power is taking that information and act upon it. So you started it because you wanted to know what the pay rates for local photographers are. Yes. Did it actually help you? They helped. They yeah. actually submitted. Two yeah. of them submitted and I was like, yeah, now I know your race. <laughs> now I know. And then I also submitted myself too. Yeah. Do you feel like it's had an impact in terms of you applying for jobs as well? Because surely these employers, these companies must know this page exists. I think they are scared of me. <laughs> There's no impact. I think because, okay, right after MPG happened, I actually didn't have much time to do my own work. So I was jobless for a few months yeah i was going to bring that up next like was it planned or is it just it wasn't planned i just don't have that time and energy to do my own work anymore yeah. and it was very bad because financial stability and security was very important to me but i'm also glad that i was able to have i think one of one and a half years with no income because previously for that six years i worked crazy hard so I already saved up enough for me to, even though there's anxiety going on, but then I still feel like, okay, it's okay. I'm still good. I don't need to panic. And then you decide to go jobless for quite a while. It's not a decision. <laughs> it just happened. It just happened because it's so time consuming. The most time consuming part that people are not realizing is that every time we post something, the moderation has to happen quite long. Moderating the comments. Moderating the comments. Because any bad comments can turn the whole post into something very bad. So you need to catch that quickly and just block that person. Or even respond very quickly. So I feel that community building, you're shaping a culture. What you are enabling, what you don't enable, people will pick that up. So right now, we don't need to moderate that much anymore. Because majority of the followers, they already pick up that style. So if there is bad things going on, they'll immediately jump on that person. So we don't have to do it anymore. So what is the culture? How will you describe the MPG culture? It's definitely people with growth mindset. I want to say global mindset, but we're still trying to shape that. I actually think it's rooted from politics. I think in Malaysia, which politicians are trying to cage us into this box of being patriotic. So if you seek out for opportunities abroad, you're being seen as such a, a traitor. Yeah, so we're trying to reshape that because if you have the capability, you have the freedom to be wherever you are. Your contribution is not limited to the country. Your contribution should be serving to the humanity and is borderless. You have attracted a lot of interest. A lot of people definitely feel like they have benefits from it. I'm sure there were lots of offers to volunteer and help you out. 
how do you see through and go, these are the people I will work with? Because some people will give empty promises or... Oh, I'm so bad at that. I had the first batch of MPG volunteers and it ended very badly. Awesome. So they were helping out on Discord. It's my first time having to work with so many people. And I didn't know that power control is one thing. And then I also needed to make everything very clearly even though they are helping me on Discord, but I saw them as, okay, these are the group of people we're going to grow MPG with. <laughs> so I pitched them my big idea, big picture for MPG. And they were not very, I wouldn't say alignment, but I guess there are so many bad business people out here in Malaysia, so many scammers, so many people with different motives, so many people who just want to use something to earn big money. So I guess they associate me with that. So they were not happy with the big picture. And then since then on, there were a lot of small conflicts that I didn't resolve it quickly enough. So it ended very badly. So right now, anything regarding two volunteers, I passed to my partner to handle it because she is very good in people management. She knows how to be very firm and cold and warm altogether. I have this problem of, you know, just seeing everybody, okay, it's fine. We can just talk about anything. Any lessons that you could share in terms of community building for people who are doing it now or looking to do it in the future? Community building is about the community, is less about ourselves. Of course, you can have a narrative or you can have a story, you have a value that you want to put out, but do know that if they are not, it's not a values that they need, there's no community. So with MPG, a lot of people actually come to us and hoping that we can build similar communities for them. Wow. But what they are missing out is that they always have a very strong agenda that they want to force into the community. It's not people first. It's them first. And that's why it will fail. And after we notice something like this, I will, I will just stay away because there's no way to try to change their mind. But you managed to find enough people together because you've done things like launch the data base as well. Tell us about that. So after we went viral for a few days... I wanted to have an Excel sheet where people can just easily use the search bar to look for, oh, I'm a system architect. I can search for it and then I will know, oh, this are the, they are income. So I sort of know where I stand. I did have that Excel sheet. I used Google Forms to collect the data. When I publicized that Excel sheet, that's when problem came. A lot of people are scraping our data. And then people would DM me and say that that data is actually very valuable if you're putting it out there. People, some agency who are charging people for this kind of information, they can take your data out easily and you are no longer serving the community, you're doing harm. So I immediately just closed that Excel sheet down and seek out to a group of volunteers to turn that Excel sheets into a data dashboard. And how does that help people? So on our data dashboard, you can use different criteria on the search bar. And you can see, say, if I'm a graphic designer or five-year experience, this is my company size, you can search exactly that. And then you will come to see, oh, they are also graphic designer of similar experiences mm. where put in the similar criteria, how much they are earning. But right now, it's very limited. Even though we have 5,000 data points, if you don't have enough people to fill in a particular role, you cannot draw really meaningful insight out of it. So next year, our core activity is to redo the data collection again. But this time, going to work with a proper data scientist to make sure that whatever that we are getting is useful. Also talking to HR, people from the company, recruitment industry. The first one is definitely just everything is very ad hoc. I was just going with the flow. But even going with the flow, I'm sure looking through so much data, you must have extracted some kind of conclusions. Actually, no conclusion. I mind that I am so interested in individual story than seeing them from a data standpoint. Yeah. So I drawn more conclusion from the Instagram page than from our data studio. From the individual stories behind each number. That's fair. You said before as well, people have learned to negotiate better. What are some of the advice that you've come across that have helped people in general? There are multiple. So the first one is that you always need to go in to negotiate as if you have nothing to lose. It's just a casual conversation. It's just playtime, okay? Don't focus on how much you're losing, how much you're earning. 
And this is the number one. You need to have the confidence to know that if you didn't get anything out of it, you will still be fine. So this will change your confidence level when you are negotiating. The second one, I was just sharing with someone actually. How do I put it? Say if you want a job at 6,000 ringgit, when people are asking you what is your expected income, you know that they are actually putting the range as 4,000 to maybe 6,000. So you can still go with the range, but then be so clear that say that, okay, my range is 4,000 to 6,000, but I do know that my capability is 6,000 range. I'll do it for 4,000 for the first few months. But after that, I wish to have a re-evaluation to see whether I could be up to 6,000. So this one, even at that point, you're already prepping the talk in the future. So you don't need to accept some an offer that you feel like, oh, I'm so, I don't know how to bring it up. I've already accepted this, but I wish to have get increments. I don't know how to bring it up to you because you're already at that point of offering. You already mentioned that, you know, this is something that we need to reevaluate and it's just easier. So this is the second one. And then the third one would be do your homework. Always find out what is roughly the market wage, but I also find that you need to know yourself. I wish more people can have this self-awareness. You need to know what your true capability is and you need to know the company situation, you, you need to sort of guess if this is SME, that's their business model. If you cannot read their financial report, you need to have that basic common sense. So when you're approaching, you're not, you not giving a crazy amount that's not realistic. If you dare to ask for more, then you need to know that within you, you really have the fire to deliver. If you cannot deliver, then don't. Has MPG become what you hoped it would be when you first started it? I have no expectation when I first started it. So I would say now it is going great, but I'm also getting so tired recently. I feel like I'm not taking care of the community as well as before. There's a lot of story elements that could be stronger. In what sense? Firstly, we have this um, series called MPG Stories, where I stop people from focusing on just how much you're earning, how much you're earning, but something that's more intangible but important. Say if somebody facing burnout, how was the experience like for that person? Sharing this story out will actually help a lot of people because sometimes people, they are feeling a lot of things, but then they don't have the words to put in place. By reading true story, they will feel, okay, I'm not lonely. This is normal. I shouldn't judge myself too much because this is happening to this person and it's okay for me to take my time. It's okay for me to have that identity crisis. Yeah. So I find that the story component is very important. It's just that recently I'm too tired to help support that. And you also have the MPG Summit coming up. Yes, tell us about that. So the first summit ever. So after MPG, we were invited to different conferences. And I realized that the conferences are mostly for entrepreneurs, founders, people in like top leadership level. And then at the same time, there are a lot of career fairs going on for the job seekers, for the students, but then there's nothing in between. There's nothing that celebrates the working folks. So we just think that, oh, we have a huge community of work folks, then we should celebrate them. We should create something that is fun for them, informative for them, that they can network with each other. That's how the summit idea came about. So day one is all about the serious stuff. How should you be spending your income? How to negotiate better? and multiple fun elements like a rapid fire debate and of course a career fair but we're trying to take that career fair into a non-conventional spin to it we're talking to a lot of HR to find out their pain points especially during career fair also pain points of the attendees of career fair to make sure that we can start something better and then the second day is all about the more holistic stuff about personal development confidence public speaking even, how to manage our stress, a burnout, support cycle, circle. So like a lot of things to do. Yes. And it's our first time ever. Yeah. Yeah. Never done anything this large scale, but I'm not nervous about it yet. I think it's just too positive. Yeah. Maybe it's not healthy for a month. Maybe it's not healthy. There's another part of it that you were very involved in, disappearing jobs. Yeah. Tell us more about that. Disappearing job is my most precious baby, I would say, because since I have to hustle for like the past 10 years, 
Actually, at 19 years old, I already had the dream of becoming a documentary photographer. I came across this website called MediaStorm. It's an organization that offers photojournalism to communities of disadvantage. So I always wanted to become part of it. But my life circumstances doesn't allow me to do that until late. I was switching my style to, so coming from fashion into photojournalism is actually tough. Shooting professional models and celebrities are very different from shooting the ordinary people. Because they know how to pose. Yeah, they, they wouldn't know how to pose, especially when you want to do photojournalism. You cannot direct them too much. You cannot manipulate it too much. But because you are trained in fashion, you have that quest for aesthetic. The standard is very high. So with these two clashing together, it was tough in the beginning. I was facing a lot of fear. I was reluctant to even give that test shooting a try because what if this is my vision and my capability is only like this right here. So I was testing it. Disappearing jobs still haven't come into a picture. I went to Vietnam with my best friend and my mom and they were helping me to just shoot anything that I feel very inspired to. And then it was after we came back, I realized that the portraits that I captured, they are all working in particular type of job. And I realized that it's that justice thing coming into play again. I wanted to dignify people who are often overlooked by people. People who are working in vulnerable jobs or jobs that deem not important for GTP, people rarely look at them. But I find that there's so much beauty in them. If you go to a place, you appreciate certain dish, this noodle, somebody's hand making them. You only love this place in this country because of that person. And why are you not paying that person respect? The more I do it, the more I realize that, okay, this is it. It's called disappearing job. It's about the vanishing traits, people who are forgotten, people who are being left behind. And you actually took over the site hustlers. Oh my God, that was so bad. There was a big hoo-ha over this. Yes. Because you turned basically for people who didn't know an Instagram page, you started for site hustlers and turned it into disappearing jobs. Yeah. And project. So how site hustler came about was that on... Malaysian pickup Instagram. There was one day I asked people that, okay, I know that our job economy is, they're not paying living wage. So a lot of people are doing a lot of side things to support their life. So I was just casually asking, what is your side hustle? What's your side job? There were some really juicy ones. So juicy and so many people submitted. There was a, a lawyer working at a strip club. Yes, I saw that one. I was shocked. <laughs> I can't find it anymore, but wow. Yeah. <laughs> So many. Yeah, so, so, so many. People who breed the fish just to sell the poi fish? fish. Oh, yeah. I didn't see that one. Okay. That's our fish. That was that. So I, lucrative too. Yeah, so lucrative. And it's, it's fun too. <laughs> so when I see that, wow, the response is so good that maybe I should create another page to collect all of this because I do believe in side hustle. Side hustle is what made me being able to travel and eat and sleep. Yeah. Yeah. So I created that. The format was very similar. It grew very fast because people are being transferred from Malaysian pickup. But it also died very quickly. So after a few weeks, it really struggled to receive submission. And there's no way to keep pushing for it because at 17K, when you post a story out, the active ones, they are already given you their stories. So I just let it sit there for a few weeks. There's still no good response. And at that time, I never even thought of having my own photography page. I went to LA for a course, the content creation course. I went there for MPG, but somehow they helped me to breathe the supreme jobs into picture. They were brainstorming and said that whatever content creation that I'm going to do for Malaysian Pegat, the structure is already there. And then they found out that I really am, I'm really into photography. They said, why don't you just do something like that? Maybe you can get paid to travel. You love travel so much. They helped me to look for the name by looking at everything that I have done. And then you took it over. There's big hoo-ha. Yeah, it was so tough. I talked to so many people and said, do you think I can really do it? Should I do it? People just say like, this is your page. And you can do anything that you like. And it's not for bad intention. You're not selling it off to some brands to sell cookies. You're not trying to commercialize it. You're just turning a dying effort into a living effort. 
looking back, do you regret having made that change? No, definitely not. After I moved this side hustle back to MPG, the response is still the same. It just couldn't be picked up. Telegram too, just couldn't be picked up. And you hustle a lot, clearly recently with the AirAsia CEO. Yeah. And you shared the story. Okay, so when I came up with the disappearing job brand deck, I was very clear that I want to grow the social media presence because I cannot be funding my project forever. It's burning a lot of money. Every tree would cost like, I don't know, twenty to 30000 Wow. So I know that I definitely want to get airline attention to help fund my travel so that I can keep doing it. The Asia one came into my mind. I never thought of approaching them because I feel like at 25000 following, is still a very baby account that maybe nobody wants to pay attention to. But I saw that they have a new route coming to fly to Amritsar. Just thought that, wow, I've been talking to people about India all the freaking time. Every time I have a chance, I will encourage people to go to India. I love going to India. I can bring people there too. Just said I'm the best person for that. Why not? I went to Fly Asia account. I look at their following list and try to stalk everybody. Yeah. yeah. And I found out that, oh, he's the CEO. He's a family guy. I'll text him. <laughs> and he replied. And he replied. I was so surprised. And before he replied, I posted on my personal Instagram. And saying that, you know, if there's anybody in Malaysia should be it, then that's me. There's nobody else. I'm very confident about that, very sure. And a lot of my friends, they helped me to pass to their friends who are working in Asia. So I already gotten like two responses before the CEO replied. Amazing. Yeah, I'm going to pitch to them. A lot of people, when I announced I was interviewing, would say, please ask Pristine how she even started this hustle, she even started to get her first jobs. What is your advice to people like that? Mine was out of desperation, so I don't know how to advise to them. Like people who already find comfort in their life, I don't know how they can have this fire. Yeah, you need the fire. You definitely need the fire. I think the rule of life, it seems like whatever that you can think of, you can actually get it. Take Malaysian Piggett, for example. If for the past few years I was doing the work for other influencers and I feel like they're not doing it ethically or rightfully, nothing is going to happen if I keep thinking like that. So if I have an idea that I act on it, I keep giving energy to it, it will become real. Taking this, same goes to Summit too. It was out of thin air, but I really believe that I can make it happen. So if there's anything that people want, you want that job, you want this to earn this amount of money, you want to go here, you want to create this product, you want to have a new career, new identity, you just need to really believe in it and keep working towards it or else it's not going to happen. And before we wrap up, is there anything that listeners can help you with? Anytime you see somebody is seeking for help, you should know that not only you can help that person, you're not getting anything less and there's nothing reductive to help. So I wouldn't say like it's directly to me, but to anybody else. Help more people like the radical generosity is a very healthy habit to have. Oh wait, do help me to spread disappearing jobs to <laughs> National Geographic. Yeah, 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 tag them as well. Exhibition, anything. Link me to some dis- disappearing jobs that you noticed. Christine, thank you so much for your time here. I always end all my interviews with the same questions. Yes. So the first is, do you feel like you have found your why? Yeah. Since little, I've always known my why. And what kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? I think like the legacy that I wanted is that I've always wanted to make an impact in Malaysia, in the society. So that I know for sure that I've already made it with Malaysian pay gap, but then other people, they actually keep telling me that the legacy that I am leaving behind is actually acting as a source of inspiration for other people to bravely go after what they want. Mm-hmm. And what do you think are the most important qualities of a successful person? Be generous. It's very important to be generous. Where can people go to find out more about what you are doing and support you? You can find out about me on Disappearing Jobs on Instagram. Malaysian pay gap and also my weird name on LinkedIn is very identifiable. Yeah. In Dave call. I will include that for sure. Just before the very final question, 
If your grandma was here, what would you like her to know about what you've been doing? She wouldn't be interested. She would have said that, why don't you just sleep more? Oh, no. Why don't you just chill? It's not like you need any more money. Why don't you just, you know, why do you care about helping other people? So all of my best friends said that too. Yeah. And my partner also said that. Yeah. Malaysian sure. mega is not a good thing for them in their eyes. <laughs> because they see the toll it takes on you. Yeah. But you're still going to keep going. I'm going to keep going until I feel like it's not making positive impact to people. Like if people stop telling me that if it helped me, then I'll actually stop it. If some people, they can really increase their income, they can have a better job, they will have better relationship, better family life, better self-worth. It's such a happy thing. But if it stop, then I'll stop because I would love to live my life. <laughs> Just chill and casual and have fun. And any last words before we wrap up? No, I just hope more people can support. So this is my why. It's very hard to start a project and be so persistent. And it's really tough. Like on social media where attention is so limited, you put something out. Sometimes all you do is just to share with more people. It's a small action, but it means so much to the person behind the project. Very true. Given one DM matters a lot. Yeah, whatever you have. If you have something positive to say or to think about that person, always express it because you'll never know that person actually desperately needed that. And that was the end of episode 136. Just head over to sodismawai.com forward slash 136 for the show notes, transcript, and also a way to subscribe to the steamy newsletter. Now I can't fit everything into an episode, which is long as it is. So this steamy newsletter is a spiel of learning away. It's also my platform to share all things personal branding and the course I'm coming up with to help other people build their brands the way that I have done with Steamy. Frankly, without Steamy and what I've done online, there would be no way that I could have left law and start to become an entrepreneur. So, want to learn more? Just head over to solismyway.com forward slash 136 and don't forget to subscribe to Steamy if you haven't done so already. A new episode is released every Sunday, so see you there.